Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew and Jay. Thanks, Ray. This is episode one of season eight of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. And that's fun because Octal gives us 1.0, Binary gives us 1,000, and of course, Base 10, we don't care about. This episode was recorded on the 3rd of June, 2018, and is sponsored by PubNub. I'm Drew Freeman, back on the show with you with season eight co-host extraordinaire and Star Wars deficionado. Jay Strong. Hey, I'm uh, I'm working on it. I'm going to watch those movies at some point. You did say it was a New Year's resolution, and it's only June at this point, so you've still got time to get through all eight plus two films, so not too bad. Well, I'll keep you updated on it as the podcast keeps going. Okay, that threat has now been filed, and we will we'll check you on that. <laughs> and on this episode, we welcome Ellen Shapiro. Hello. Who is an iOS and Android developer in Amsterdam's office of Backen and Beck. Hello, Ellen. How's it going, Andre? It is, uh, it, it's 2 p.m. here on the east coast of the States, and it's, what, 8 p.m. out there? Yes, it is. I just finished dinner. Uh, are you actually in Amsterdam proper or outside the city limits? I am outside. I actually live in a town called Nijmegen, oh. um, which is actually right next to Germany, basically. I, I actually biked to Germany yesterday. Oh. Um this time on purpose. I have done it by accident before. I, I, I've been to Nijmegen. It's actually really pretty. Yeah, it's a it's a great town. My, I'm you know we're uh, my my uh, fiance uh, is a researcher at the university here, and uh, so it's a really cool place to live. Yes, last time we talked, you did not have a fiance. You do now, so congratulations. Thank you. Yes, no last last time she was uh, the girlfriend, and uh, now she is the fiance. So yay! Ooh, congrats. Thanks. We. Also, as threatened last season, I brought back Joe Howard, the Android Pillar lead over at Raysware. Hey, everybody. Our wonderful leaders in the Ray Wenderlich world. And because we have Joe and Ellen here, we are going to keep true to our threat. And today is all about Kotlin. Yeah, all right. We are going to dive entirely into the Android world with this wonderful language. Now, Kotlin is uh, Kotlin's fairly new but it's not as new as a lot of people think. Ellen, can you can you give me an idea how old Kotlin is? Yeah, so Kotlin actually started uh internally at uh JetBrains, which is the company that makes uh app code and um a lot of other fabulous uh IDEs and they started working on it in 2010, not that different of a time from when when Chris Latner started working on Swift uh behind the scenes at Apple. Um, and it was sort of unveiled to the public in 2011, but it's something that didn't really pick up a lot of steam, uh, immediately just because there were a lot of other languages that did some of the things that it does, but there was a point at which, uh, it started to really pick up steam for, uh, Android developers. And then last year at, at Google IO 2017, uh, Google announced sort of first-party support for writing Android apps with Kotlin, and that's when it really took off. Yeah, I know a lot of people were were waiting to see what Google would embrace for uh, for Android development apart from Java. And I know there'd been talk for a while whether or not Swift would be embraced on the platform. Do you have any reasons or any beliefs of why they decided to go the Kotlin route instead well, of Swift route? Personally, I, I have always uh, rolled my eyes pretty hard at the idea that they would embrace Swift. Um, I just I didn't see any incentive that they had to embrace Swift. I think one of the one of the biggest reasons that they embraced Kotlin was because the developer community had really embraced it first. 
Uh, and the reason, reason that the Android developer community had been able to embrace it so much is that Kotlin actually runs on the Java virtual machine. And what that meant was that you could use Kotlin to build Android apps without any first party support because everything just compiled down to JVM bytecode and it would run on a Java virtual machine as if it had been written in Java code. So it's something where the ease of transition, like there's nothing that they really had to do to transition much stuff to Kotlin other than adding some conveniences to various libraries and then just sort of finding ways to make that that first party support more obvious. There wasn't really a lot that Google had to do to do that. Uh, if they wanted to support Swift, that would have involved a lot more work. Um, that would have involved making some kind of variant of Swift that could run on the JVM. So it could run on existing Android devices. It would have involved figuring out how to take, you know, there's there's been a project to sort of run Android code through Swift, but it's been very unofficial and it's been very sort of ad hoc. And it's not been anything that Google has really invested anything in. I think the, the per primary person behind that is Brian, I can never pronounce his last name, starts with a G, Galiciak. I'll call him Motocash because that's his, his uh, GitHub handle. But I think he's been one of the primary people that tried to, to sort of see if that could happen. And it seemed like it was a lot of work to make that happen. So Swift was made by Apple and mm -hmm. Apple makes the hardware that it runs on mm -hmm. and then also writes the code that runs on the hardware while Kotlin was made by a different company. Do you see Google influencing changes in the Kotlin code as it goes from 1.0 to 2.0 over over time? Or um, you know, I actually I, I do see. So Google has had a partnership with JetBrains for a while because they have taken the IntelliJ IDE and sort of reskinned it and added some Android specific uh, improvements to turn it into Android Studio, which is the primary IDE for Android development. Google and JetBrains have been sort of in a partnership for a while. And I think it's something where because they've had that partnership, I'm pretty sure there's already been some influence from Google on uh, the direction of Kotlin. But I think it's also been something where I think this language has taken off in a way that they didn't necessarily expect it to. I think it's really become a huge thing for Android development, probably a lot faster than anyone expected. I think the other the other thing to keep in mind is that Kotlin didn't actually get to 1.0 until I believe last year. So again, it was released to the public in 2011 and did not hit a stable 1.0 version for, was that, six years? Yeah, I think it was, um, I think it was maybe early 2016. Yeah. Uh, so about five years, I think, yeah. So those of you who think you could laugh at the Swift people who made that Swift 2 to Swift 3 disastrous jump, no, that probably will happen in Kotlin uh, when they know, realize, oh, we've I actually don't think so. I, I actually think that they did a lot of stuff before they really said, they, they sort of released it in a state of like, okay, we're still working on this. This is not stable in any way, shape, or form. Once they moved over to a 1.0 version, <laughs> they've been pretty good about continuing support for stuff that they've either sort of modified or done other things to. You know, it's certainly possible that, that any transition to Swift 2.0 in the future is going to be kind of painful, but... Or Kotlin, Kotlin 2.0, right? Kotlin 2.0, yes. I'm not... I, uh, I don't know what language I'm talking about anymore. You're lucky I'm not speaking Dutch right now. It, it's definitely something where you see a tendency on the part of JetBrains 
because this language was not something that they sort of had to be like, surprise, we made a language the way that Apple did with Swift. They were able to sort of have more of the discussions that wound up happening in Swift evolution in the point at which Swift became open source. So in the transition from two to three, which I think everybody could agree was really painful. Um, And so I think Kotlin was able to go through a lot of that transition before it hit 1.0. And I think that has saved a lot of hassle as people have been upgrading. You know, it's something where Kotlin is now, I believe, 1.2 point something. It's gone through a fair number of revisions. It's gained some pretty significant uh, improvements even in that last couple of years. But I feel like JetBrains is a lot more conservative about saying, okay, this is a 1.0 release than Apple was. Yeah, and just to kind of add on to that, Alan, I, I, I get the feeling that that Apple with Swift is, is kind of trying to like throw the kitchen sink into the language. I feel like as a language, Kotlin is not quite as ambitious as Swift. Uh, you know, in terms of its platform goals, it's very ambitious, but... As a, as a programming language, it feels a little bit less ambitious. Maybe that's because it's constrained by the JVM. I'm not sure, but and because of that spill, you know, all those decisions have already been being made before 1.0. Since 1.0, it's in, it's been very stable because of that conservatism on the part of JetBrains, because of having to hit the JVM, and the language itself hasn't really changed that much. They're they're adding things. A couple things have probably broken, but but nothing like we've seen with Swift two to three or three three to four. That's interesting because um, one of the things that I observed was when both the, the base Android and the base iOS stuff came out, iOS had very, very little and Android had so much. And people said, well, look at all mm-hmm. the stuff we can do. And over time, iOS opened more stuff up as they figured out how to do it in a safe way. And Android started closing stuff off saying, you probably shouldn't have access to that. But when they take a look at Swift and you take a look at Kotlin, it's almost as if they both flipped that. The Kotlin is being very measured and very safe and protected in how they're expanding it. And Swift was trying to be everything for everybody too fast. I think that's I think that's accurate. I mean, I think one of the things that you have to keep in mind for um, sort of Swift versus Kotlin is that you have a lot more license to do stuff really, really, really fast when you are the first party. So Apple when they say, okay, everybody do this now. Everyone's like, yes, sir. And, you know, kind of <laughs> runs off and uh, and uh, and jumps however high Apple told him to jump. You know, this is, Kotlin is coming from a company that, while it has a ton of respect in the developer community, it's not Google. It's not the company that's manufacturing the opposite operating system. It's not even like a prominent manufacturer of, you know, hardware or something like that. Like if Samsung had decided they wanted to come up with a programming language, like a God help us all if that happens. But B, (laughs) you know, I think it's something where at least from that standpoint, it would be something where you could see why a company would want to try to do something like that to, to give themselves some kind of advantage. Whereas with JetBrains, I think, It seems like it mostly started like as an internal project kind of for fun and to sort of look at some of the new functional programming concepts that were really coming out and try to make them more approachable. And it really has turned into something where they're offering people the opportunity to, you know, particularly before it hit 1.0, you were able to use a lot of functional stuff on the JVM that before that you had to use something called Retro Lambda for especially on Android, where Android for a long time didn't even support Java 7, let alone Java 8. I think we're now, I think it's now got Java 7 support for most uh, platforms, but it's definitely something where having to have things that are just using all sorts of weird shims to, to allow you to write more modern code is really frustrating. 
And so this this was something where it was seen as more of a gentle sort of on-ramp into the functional programming world, whereas I think Swift initially had some ambitions to being that. And then I think it got into a point where I think a lot of people had a lot of ideas for what they wanted Swift to be. And uh, all of them happened. So it's definitely something where it seems like it's settled down a lot in the last year or so. The change path has gotten a lot better. Like, I feel like the transition from Swift 3 to Swift 4 was pretty painless, um, certainly compared to, to 2 to 3. Oh, heavens, yes. Right now, uh, there's a huge migration beginning yep. with Java developers looking at Kotlin. A lot of Swift developers are looking at this as a jumping on point for Android. Uh, you know, much like Swift yeah. was a jumping on point for a lot of people for iOS. So the question is, I, I've looked at some of the Swift Kotlin differences, but I was hoping we could take a few minutes, talk about some of the Swift Kotlin differences and, and dig into how much you have to sort of switch your brain or change things. And, and obviously yeah. there's going to be the little syntactic things. I think the, the yeah. four ins require parentheses or, or some things change names yeah. in silly fun versus funk ways. But then there, then there are a couple of things that are a little bit more different. And I was wondering if there are anything. Yeah, the, it's uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of like Kotlin is fun memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, was, and I was talking with with Jay before the show. It's like var is the same for mutable values, but it's let versus val. Yeah, val. Yeah, and I'm like, why val? Yeah, uh, well, val. I, I think val being value. Oh, I was trying to explain to a friend who's not a programmer what this episode was about. And when I explained that Kotlin and Swift have a lot of similarities, but there's syntactical differences, uh, she asked if Swift and Kotlin are like Spanish and Portuguese. Um, and Ellen is someone who speaks a couple of languages and also does several <laughs> programming languages. I was wondering what you thought of that. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really great analogy. I think I actually, <laughs> being someone who gives a lot of talks, I have a talk about learning Kotlin as a Swift developer and then learning Dutch as a native English speaker. Wow. Uh, which I kind of did at the same time because Dutch, <laughs> you know, Dutch is a Germanic language. There's definitely some things that are pretty much the same. And then there's some things where you're like, I what? How? No. And I, I kind of had the same experience learning Kotlin, where there were a lot of things that were really, really similar. You know, the the declaration of functions and the the declaration of variables and sort of doing a lot of dealing with optionals and things like that. Being able to use uh, generics and functions as parameters, like all that stuff is very similar between Kotlin and, and Swift. And it's really, it's pretty fun to be able to start messing with stuff. I think you run into many similar problems when you're dealing with two similar programming languages and two similar spoken languages. I think one of the, one of the things that they talk about in spoken languages is something called a false cognate, mm -hmm. where you have a word that sounds like it is a particular word in the language that you know. If I say, Ika nar hit station, to my English speaking ear, that's, that sounds like I go near the station. But what that actually means, I go to the station. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's something where I, I kept telling people I live to the station. So, and people will be like, what? And, you know, it's, it, it's something where a, a similar thing in Kotlin and Swift is when you're working with the reduce operator, the reduce operator in Swift is basically something where you can have an initial value and then a function that takes whatever the most recent version of the initial value is, 
and then the next thing in a, in a collection and then combines them and returns the value for the next iteration. And in Kotlin, reduce doesn't actually have that initial value parameter. Uh, it only just takes a function. So you can only start with like either an empty string or a zero or some other like base value based on sort of generally type inferred based on what your return value is. But then if you're like, well, what if I want to start with something else? Then you have to use a completely different operator called fold. And I still don't 100% understand why it's called fold, but it's it's something where that's the kind of thing that tends to trip people up more than I think it it should. It's definitely something where you have to break a little bit of muscle memory in order to use Kotlin as comfortably as you're using Swift. And I think it's definitely something where there are things in each language that I think the other language could stand to steal from the other. But I think it's also something where it's helpful to try to look at each language in the context of what it's trying to do itself, not in terms of how it compares to another language. Because I think, again, with, with Dutch and English, I think I got a lot better at Dutch when I stopped trying to make direct translations from English in my head before I started speaking. Mm, it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it is something where languages have a lot to teach each other. Um, but I think it's also something where a lot of the features that wind up in all of these languages do have sort of common roots, common um, sort of thoughts of, of, of programmers who work with things and go, this is harder than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Why? So in uh, Kotlin Apprentice Arena, uh, one of my co-authors wrote a chapter on coroutines. This is a thing that uh, has been talked about a bit for Swift as well. A coroutine is basically something that allows you to use async and await keywords to say, okay, this particular method is actually going to execute asynchronously, and I can still write my program in a way that doesn't require completion blocks or closures. I can read it line by line by line, but certain lines may be executing asynchronously, and then I'll get sort of called back when they're done. And we had uh, Ben DeFrancisco on last season to talk about some of the problems in Swift with asynchronous calls. And we talked about the A-weight. Yeah, because I think, I think you had him on around when Chris Latner published his like 9 billion world manifesto yep. that was going to get turned into like eight different uh, Swift evolution things. His, his long-term vision for the Swift project definitely includes something like coroutines. Coroutines are really close to done on Kotlin, and they've been they've been out in the wild for quite a while. I know that colleagues of mine have been using them in production and have been absolutely loving them. And so it's it's something where being able to look at okay, well this is this is a thing that is sort of a general concept, but different languages have different implementations of it. I think that's helpful to be able to sort of see okay, what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages, and also to help you sort of dig out well why would I want to use this in the first place. Yeah, Kotlin definitely sounds like it is definitely a great jumping on point. I know there's always a lot of reluctance when there's anybody trying to cross that iOS, Android line on either direction. So this is really going to be a lot of good information. I really appreciate it. Ellen, your information and your knowledge is so appreciated. I want to thank you for being part of this, this, this show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Ellen. This was insightful. I can't wait to uh, get into Android development myself. Coming up in the second half of the show, we're going to have Joe focusing on the future of Kotlin. But first, we're going to hear a couple of words from our sponsor, PubNub. The Right Wonder Lick.com podcast will be right back. 
But first, a message from our sponsor. Users have come to expect real time. They crave alerts that their payment is received. They crave little cars zooming around on a map. They crave locking their doors when they're not at home. There's no need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to making your app real time. PubNub makes it simple, enabling you to build immersive and interactive experiences on web, mobile, embedded, and any other device connected to the internet. With powerful APIs and a robust global infrastructure, stream geolocation data, send chat messages, turn on your sprinklers, or rock your baby's crib when they start crying. And again, a special thank you to PubNub for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Coming back for Section 2, we have Rayswares Joe Howard, our Android Pillar lead. Now, you also worked on the, uh, the Kotlin Apprentice, but you're going to help us take a look at not what Kotlin is, but where Kotlin seems to be going. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And I thought we would start off maybe by kind of going through all the different platforms that Kotlin supports as a means of surveying what they are and talking about each one individually, see maybe where it's going within each platform. Okay, so what platforms does Kotlin support? So I'd start with Android. So we spent a good portion of the, the first half of the podcast talking about Kotlin and Swift, and Android came up quite a bit. So Kotlin on Android has been, as we mentioned, it's been really accelerating since Google announced first-party support last year at Google I.O. And it definitely seems as if Kotlin is really, really taking over for Java on Android. Pretty much every blog post you see, the links you'll see in newsletters, it's pretty much all Kotlin. And you're starting to see things like, you know, is Java really relevant anymore on Android? Uh, Obviously, Java is still huge and it's still under development with Java 8, Java 9, Java 10. And Google has certainly not given up on Java support on Android by any means. But because of the excitement, I think, in the community and just the overall quality of Kotlin as as a language and the way it improves your experience as a developer, it's really, really just exploding. Do you, do you get the same sense, Ellen, that it's it's kind of taking off and there's no turning back with Kotlin on Android? Yeah, particularly on Android, I think that that's the case. I think that, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, a, a lot more love for Java as a platform on the server side, but I think Kotlin is really, really taking off for Android. I think it really seems like sort of the JVM variant that has won the the hearts and minds of Android developers. Do you guys see a future where there are a lot of apps where every single element is written in Kotlin, back end, front end, mobile devices? Is that something that we're looking at sometime soon? Yeah, I think a good portion of the apps are already on the Play Store are are in Kotlin. I, I when I say a good portion, I don't mean a majority, but I think at Google I/O 2018, Google said something like 30% or roughly of the apps that are being submitted to the Play Store are, are written to some extent in Kotlin. So it's already a pretty sizable chunk are including Kotlin at the Play Store level. And I, that's only going to increase over time. And and one nice thing with Kotlin that is pretty similar to, to Objective-C and Swift is that Kotlin and Java are hugely interoperable. Kotlin was designed, in a sense, to be interoperable with Java. And so even if you have an existing app that you've had out in the Play Store for a number of years, you can quite easily have your team start pulling Kotlin in, whether it's for a new screen or a new feature, whatever the case may be, 
And so I, I think there's probably a portion of apps that are mixed right now in the Play Store. And I think most people in the community would recommend it. If, if you have interest in Kotlin and your team has experience with it, then if you're starting a new app, you really, really should give Kotlin a, a lot of thought in terms of having that be the, the sole language for the, for the app. Yeah. There, are, there are caveats there, of course. There, there's if, you know, a lot of teams are, are Java-based, and I know some pretty high-profile apps that are refusing to use Kotlin at this point because they have so many Java developers in-house. I think I saw a lot more refusal to use Kotlin before Google announced first-party support for it. That was the thing that I feel like I ran into a lot of the time was people who were like, I desperately want to use Kotlin, but because it's not, it doesn't have first-party support from Google my project manager or my CTO won't let me. That's something where I think if you were able to explain that Kotlin is a JVM language and basically for Google to not support Kotlin, they'd have to not support Java, then that was something that I think CTOs and, and project managers could kind of get over. But it was also something where that was that was something they're holding a lot of people back. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's much easier now, for sure. Is there any line in the sand where you can't, as of yet, adopt? I often talk on, on the iOS side about the ABI. If I have a private framework where I'm not releasing the source code, I have no choice. That's got to stay in Objective-C for now. Is there anything in the world where, no, I'm sorry, I know this is your Android development, but you can't embrace Kotlin for that. The, the only equivalent that, I, that comes to mind is things like Java Streams in, in Java Eight. Uh, they're not they're not really available in in Kotlin. I, I think that there's a there's equivalence in Kotlin that that you could use. But if you have a lot of experience in something like like using Streams on Java Eight, that doesn't automatically transfer over. Uh, it's not to say that you can't do do the same thing, but it it just doesn't. If, you, if that's your expertise, it may not exactly transfer over. It's not quite the same thing as you're talking about in terms of... Yeah, so there, so there are equivalencies in Kotlin so that you can solve the problem. Right, you can solve the problem. But there's, there's, nothing, there, there's nothing as of yet that basically, you know, you, you know using Kotlin prevents you from, you know, that, that, like, I, like I said, with, 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 on, the, on the iOS side, without an ABI, you're really kind of stymied and stuck in an Objective-C uh, language for a framework. Yeah, there's there's no no real equivalent that I know of. Do you, do you think, agree, Ellen? I can't think of anything. Not that not that I can think of. Um, I think again, this this is part of JetBrains so being so conservative in making sure that everything is super interoperable mm -hmm. and super stable before they even declare it a 1.0. There's just not that same limitation. But now right, you're so also we, saying we about Android. So the next one I would mention Kotlin. would be what's called Kotlin Native, and Kotlin Native is essentially a way to compile Kotlin code to run, you know, to a, you know, to a native binary that avoids running the code on the JVM. So instead of creating bytecode, you're creating binary executables using Kotlin, uh, using LLVM. And Kotlin native is the gateway into Kotlin iOS, which would be kind of the next platform. Kotlin native, you can make programs for, to, you know, to run on your Linux machine or your, your Mac. I think Windows is probably supported too. I think it is, and yeah. Then, yeah. And then you move into using Kotlin Native as the, the basis for developing a Kotlin iOS app. So the, the first um, real huge example of that, as far as I know, was uh, the first Kotlin conference was last fall in November in San Francisco. And the, the conference app was, was written by JetBrains. And they, they had both an iOS version and an Android version. And it was built using this Kotlin Native technology. 
it's not ready for prime time yet, but it is getting more mature every, every you know every day. And pretty recently, they added support. Originally, in order to do Kotlin native for iOS, you had to use Sea Lion, which is another one of the the many IntelliJ based IDEs from JetBrains. But they recently added support for app code, which a lot of iOS developers are, are available or uh, are familiar with. One thing that's that's good with Kotlin Native mm-hmm. is you can actually see the application, which they actually publish on GitHub for for KotlinConf 2017. KotlinConf mm-hmm. 2018 is going to be in Amsterdam in October. So hoping around that point, there'll be some more stuff around Kotlin Native and sort of increased stability around it there. Mm-hmm. Do I want to go to Amsterdam again? It's been so long. Of course you do. Amsterdam <laughs> is awesome. So, so we talked a bit about uh, earlier about... The, the rumors a couple of years ago that, that Google might support Swift for Android turned out to be Kotlin was the was the language they went with. So Kotlin native, Kotlin iOS gets you a little bit closer to the reverse of, of using an Android language in a sense like Kotlin and being able to use that language for iOS apps. I, I my, my gut feeling is it's it's still too early to really dive into that unless you're, you know, you specialize in that type of multi-platform stuff. I don't think it's definitely not production ready. I, and I think it's probably too early to say, is this something that's really going to happen in, in a realistic way for a lot of developers mm-hmm. long term? I can speak to that a little bit because I tried messing around with Kotlin Native. For a talk that I was doing at TriSwift Tokyo in early March, I tried to put together a Kotlin Native app and failed spectacularly. <laughs> it's really, really, the documentation is a little rough and it seems like it's still really under development. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with it. I think I really want to take another crack at it this summer. Just just to sort of see how far it's come. But I think it's definitely something where I would not be ready to put it into production right now. Mm. One thing that's really interesting about the way that Kotlin Native works is that it's to get to the point, Joe alluded to this earlier, but to get to the point where you have a compiled binary, it actually uses the LLVM compiler, which is the same compiler that Swift Mm -hmm. uses. And so the output is LLVM bytecode, which is the same thing that the Swift compiler puts out. Mm. And once that's actually output, then the compiler can sort of basically say, okay, I want it to do this for this architecture and this for this other architecture. So my understanding of compilers is a little bit hand wavy, but (laughs) my understanding of sort of the innovation of LLVM is that it sort of took a lot of the pieces of a compiler and made them a bit more independent. And so it's, it's something where you get this bytecode that you can then have work on multiple different architectures using the same sort of at the base level compiler. Whereas you have the Swift compiler, which translates everything into LLVM bytecode, and then the Kotlin native compiler, which I think is called Conan with a K because Kotlin. All of these things can be compiled down into LLVM bytecode. And then from there, that's where you're able to take advantage. Like I think that's part of why Kotlin native can run on so many platforms because it's taking advantage of all of the work of the LLVM project that Swift is also taking advantage of. Do you think we might see something like a Kotlin playground? That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. That gets into, uh, you know, as Alan mentioned before, building IDs is tough. And and I'm sure there was a lot of work that went into the playground support and Xcode. So that's a huge undertaking. It seems something a third party might be able to do that. That would be really awesome. I'm, I'm sure that uh, everyone in the iOS world would appreciate it to have something similar to, to playgrounds. But uh, we'll have to see. For me, like when I was first learning how programming languages worked, if I had had that, that would have saved me a lot of heartache. There was a lot of stuff where I sort of understood how the outcome was working, but I couldn't really understand how it was getting from point A to point B. 
And I think when Swift Playgrounds came out, that made it much, much simpler for me to understand. I think I think what's happening with the, the Tri-Kotlin Lang thing is that it's actually got a compiler that it sends you the code that was input in and then sort of runs it and then outputs whatever the compiler outputs. But I'm not positive. Joe, do you have any idea? Uh, no, I think that's that's pretty much right. I did want to add as a tangent that uh, JetBrains recently announced a a plugin for that you can you can add to your website to do essentially the same functionality, mm. and that includes a, a WordPress plugin. So you, I think you'll start to see a lot more blog posts and other things done using this this kind of WordPress type plugin for Kotlin that makes it act in a lot of the ways like like trykotlin.lang trykotlinlang.org does. Yeah, it's really impressive. It's it's really a So a it doesn't neat get quite thing. to the level of playgrounds, but it is it is I think uh, pedagogically I think it can help a lot to to learn the, the language. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, good word. I'm not even going to put that one in the show notes. You can go look that one up for <laughs> I think yourself. I use it correctly. I, I good word. So we've got obviously Android. We've got native with iOS as a side well, so the next one I would talk about, not so much a, a platform, but more of a, a an area of, of uh, interest, would be data science. So data science is a, a field in which I'd say at this point the, the languages R and Python are the two dominant languages in the in those fields. And um, I'm not that familiar with R. I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Python. And one of the knocks that many people have on Python is it is dynamically typed and uh, performance is not necessarily always always a great all those ways to to get around that so kotlin uh has features uh as, as swift does that that can improve some of those deficiencies that you might have in a language like python and i for me and i, I kind of wanted to talk about this one kind of more on a, on a, on a personal level I, I i feel like as i've learned kotlin it's it's definitely been the the language that kind of works the way my mind works most closely. I, I may, and, and Python kind of has this kind of a similar effect on, I think on a lot of people where it's, it's, it's concise and it, there's just not a lot of friction in using Kotlin just as there's not a, a lot of friction in using a, a language like Python. So I, yeah, I've done objective C and Swift and Java Kotlin in uh, a few other languages and Kotlin, it, it just kind of flows and to me, that makes it very, very similar to a language like Python. And, and so there's already people that are working to bring Kotlin into the data science community. And I think it has a lot of, a lot of potential there. I know, you know, Jay, you mentioned about um, kind of Kotlin trying to, to get into all these different platforms and, and, and what does that mean? And I, I think a lot of this will end up being organic. So something like would Kotlin ever take off in data science? I think it really depends on what the, the community of people in the, in the data science world see and its potential and and the kind of libraries that get built and and tooling that gets built and i think data science is a place where there's probably a need for a, a static type safe language and kotlin would be a great candidate for it have you seen any examples of yet of, of anybody trying to adopt it there? the only the only one that I, I know off the top of my head is there was a, a, a really nice presentation at kotlin conf in in uh in november last year um but other than that, I haven't seen a huge amount on it, but I, I feel like it's a... That, that presentation actually uh, was was about a sort of scripting wrapper that was written for uh, Kotlin to sort of make iteration a lot faster. And that's actually been largely developed by the data science community. Um, and, and that's something where um, I know that it's definitely something where when you're dealing with languages that have a lot of heavy 
or, or things that need to involve a lot of really, really heavy scientific lifting right now are in Python are really the thing. But I think there is something where people really want something that's a little bit easier to use. Like I have had to help my fiance deal with some delightful things in our studio, uh, which good Lord, if you want to see a terrible IDE, our studio is uh, really impressively bad, but it's something where I think that level of flexibility for, for scientists who need to be able to have these reproducible results. And my girlfriend is a scientific researcher, but I also know data scientists who are just like, you know, we, we want to be able to make predictions and we want to be able to make accurate predictions. We have to have good data to be able to do that. And we have to have tools that allow us to actually access all of that data and and sort of mm-hmm. take it and shape it and move it around and figure out what it actually means. And so that's something where I, I do see, I, I, it does seem like it's something that's, that's of interest to um, both data scientists and sort of research scientists. But I think the data science group tends to be a little bit more forward in terms of trying new stuff rather than research scientists, because research scientists work on things with a much longer time horizon. Well, the research science, you're really asking the question, is it possible to? And with the data science, it's like, I need to find a solution yeah. for. So there, there's definitely more of a, an immediate need for accomplishing a solution. But do you see that then feeding back and creating libraries that will become adopted by the, the Kotlin community as, as a whole? Yeah, I, w- I hope so. I think it's it's going to take a while and we'll have to see where it goes. And and just to contrast this with, you know, the, um, with our you know, going back to, to Swift, one of the huge fields is kind of essentially a, a part of data science would be machine learning, which is become massive in the past couple of years. And mm-hmm. one, and one yeah. of the big libraries in machine learning is TensorFlow. And um, as far as I know, Chris Latner, the one of the you know, primary creator of, of the Swift language now works at Google and he's actually bringing in Swift into the TensorFlow um, ecosystem. So um, it's not entirely um, clear how that got started or where, you know, where it's going, but um it does kind of point to to what Ellen's talking about about the kind of having the need for a, a type safe language like a Swift or a Kotlin, and the improvements that that can bring into into these kind of more scientific fields. That is so cool. So I'm going to ask you the question that I love to ask in episodes, and that is, what do you want to see show up in Kotlin next? I think the thing that I'm I'm really excited for is the the Google team that's really been doing a lot of work to make the Android APIs more. Kotlin friendly. There there have been a number of sort of varying projects to for both JetBrains and from Google to make Kotlin uh, friendly versions of various Android APIs that are kind of overly verbose. And I, I really look forward to seeing more and more and more of that because I think it's it's just something where when you can actually work with something in its own sort of realm, it's sort of like when when they were adding a lot more Swift stuff to Objective C APIs, just a lot of syntactic sugar and and ways to make it sort of swiftier um, as stuff gets Kotlinier in Android, it's going to make it even more fun to, to write Android apps in Kotlin. You know, I, I talk about being an iOS person, but every time I come out of these talks with, with people on Kotlin, I, I'm really, I, I, I'm really prompted and, and put it onto my list of 10 million things I need to do, but it, it gets higher and higher on my list. Um, I, I was privileged from Ellen to, to look over actually from both of you, to look over material that you gave me beforehand that just made me look at it and go, this is, this is not going to, to, to be a huge bash in the head for me. And the fact that, that the two of you with, with two other uh, co-collaborators turned out the Kotlin apprentice, yeah. Joe, 
Ellen, I really want to thank you for your time on this. I'm really excited about the technology. I'm really excited to see where it goes over the next few years. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here, you guys. Of course, having now broken you in on a full episode, looks like you're in for the long ride this season. Yay, good. Yeah, I hope so. No, I'm not sure when, but... I know that Jay's actually going to be talking about some technologies in a, in a future week. At some point, yeah. But that will wrap things up for our first episode of Season 8. Once again, I would like to thank PubNub for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. And until our next episode in two weeks, we try to release every other Monday, we send it back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendelich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.